Good morning, everyone. Um, I've got a, a confession to make to you before I start. Um, I like lighting fires. Um, no, I'm not a pyromaniac, before you start to worry and call the police. Um, but I like lighting fires. Does anyone else like lighting fires? Just um, bonfires, burning rubbish, wood heaters, fire pits. There's something special about sitting around a fire and it's a bit mesmerising and it's, it's great. I just enjoy it and throwing a log on and um, seeing it take off. So this morning, um, I believe God's he's wanting to spark something in you and in me today. I believe he's been speaking to the church about being more hungry and more thirsty for the things of God. And I think he's wanting to start a fire, either start a fire in you and me, or he's wanting to blow on the coals that are already there. He's wanting to add more timber to your fire so that you get hotter. He's wanting to fan that into an even hotter thing than you have now. We've, we've heard in the last couple of weeks about the church in Laodicea, which is not a pleasant thing to read, really. And we read there that that's a church that's been rebuked by Jesus. He says, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. I'd, I'd rather you were cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, you're in danger of me spewing you out of my mouth. This is Jesus speaking. That's not the kind of language you kind of expect to hear from Jesus. It's hard language. It's, it's straight talk to, the, to a church. This is not to the lost. This is to a church. And it even goes on to say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, which quite often we use as an evangelistic message for people to, to give their lives to the Lord the first time. It's really, to do that, it's taking it out of context because this is a message to a church that has shut him out. He's outside the church knocking to come back in because they've got lukewarm. They've allowed things to come and choke their joy. He says, be zealous. I want, God wants us to be zealous for him. How zealous are you this morning? As I've been preparing for this morning, uh, I've been getting challenged myself. How zealous am I? How hot am I? Sean talked about hungering and thirsting. Um, this is just a different way of saying the same thing. But joy, that's the subject this morning. We're doing a Living in Joy series, or Living in Christ series, and this is the joy part of it. You know, I, I took the traditional way and looked up a dictionary definition of joy and came up with a few things, and I even read one writer who was trying to define the difference between joy and happiness. But I found them all pretty unsatisfactory and they're really not what I'm concentrating on this morning because they're worldly joys. 
They're worldly definitions. What I want to look into this morning is what does the Bible say is joy? I mean, everyone in the world can know love, joy, peace, happiness at times. But what is the true source of biblical joy? Are we experiencing it? And if not, why not? Could and should we be experiencing more joy than we are? And where and when can we expect to experience joy? So I hope you see where I'm going with this bit of an introduction here to this message. My heart's desire this morning is for us to go on. Wherever you're at, if you have yet to make a commitment to Christ, or whether you already have, God's got more for you. He's always got more for us. We never arrive in that sense, this side of heaven. There's always more. And I believe he's wanting to take you this morning from where you are and quicken the fire in you. Increase the hunger for the things of God. Increase your thirst for him. That's my heart this morning. So that he will take you from where you are. Have I lost this? He'll take you from where you are and that you might go deeper and you might fly higher, that you might mature, you, you might go on in your walk in him. So, I couldn't help but notice this a few weeks ago. I don't know if any of you get this or I'm the only one. It was in the Mercury, Body and Soul, which is a good omen of as to where it's going. But it says, the new science of happiness. Seven surprisingly simple ways to unlock lasting joy. I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> really? And the article was on uh, research that was done by a team. It's meant to be the greatest, longest research project done on the secret to happiness. Wow. And in it we see, we learnt that people believe happiness is something they can achieve. If they buy that house or get a promotion or lose enough weight, then happiness will follow. But the data very clearly showed that that was not true. It wasn't true. And what they found is the people who were the happiest and, and the most content were people who had good relationships with other people. And so the seven things that they, they suggest are all to do with fostering a relationship with someone else, which is, you know, that's okay. But things like tally all the people you could call in the night with a problem. Skip the sandwich at your desk for lunch with your work friend. Go to the same coffee shop every day so that you might meet someone. Have a one-on-one -on -one dinner with a close friend. I mean, I could go on, but the point is, that's the best the world can come up with. Is that all we can expect? Certainly it isn't. So what does the Word of God have to say on the subject? Well, firstly, 1 Thessalonians 
5 verse 23 says we're actually body, soul and, and spirit. So they're on the wrong track right from the beginning because they've dismissed the whole spiritual side of us. But if we can have a few overheads, if that's possible. The first one is John 15 verse 11. And it says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Another rendition is that your, my joy may remain in you and you may have it to the full. My joy, this is Jesus talking, my joy might remain in you and you might have it to the full. Hallelujah. Okay, next one. John 16, 20 to 24. Very truly I say to you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have, asked for, have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. John 17 verse 13, if we can. I am coming to you now, Jesus said, but I say these things that while I am still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of Jesus' joy in them. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Amen. Psalm 16 verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In his presence is fullness of joy in his presence, not outside of his presence. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, just to sum it up, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing it, don't we? The joy of the Lord is my strength. But, but the, this is where it comes from. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Isaiah 61 verse 3 talks about the oil of joy. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. There's an old saying you may have heard that all roads lead to Rome. Have you heard that saying? Most oldies have. Um, that came about because the, when the Roman Empire was uh, ruling the world basically or that part of it they were great road builders and they built out from Rome in all different directions so that if you were walking in the countryside and you hit a, hit a road if you headed in the right direction sooner or later you'd end up in Rome 
But the older I get, the more I've come to realise that every topic, every facet, every quality of the life of Christ that we can have and need, every one of those, when we examine it, and we want to get back to the heart of that quality and how to obtain that quality, leads us back to Romans. So in the natural, we hear all roads lead to Rome, but I believe in the spirit, all roads lead to Romans. Why do I say that? Because in Romans, Paul sublimely and clearly reveals how we all can walk in victory, how we can possess all things that we need that we're looking at in this series and even more. And he also reveals the main reasons why we don't and how we can. So today as we're tracing the road of joy, let's see what Romans has to say on the subject and see where that takes us. So let's look at Romans 14, verse 17 which says this, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but it's in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The first thing we see from this verse and many of those others that I got us to look at is how intricately and interwoven joy is with the Holy Spirit. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. So that's the first thing we can, we can conclude is true joy, true biblical joy is dependent on the Holy Spirit, on his presence. So no Holy Spirit, no true joy. And that's, I guess that's answered our first question, what's the source of all true joy, biblically speaking? It's the Holy Spirit. But don't all Christians have the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, they do. So why don't we experience more of God's joy? Why don't we, it's Jesus' joy made real to us by the Holy Spirit's presence. Why don't we? Am I on my own here? Do people know and experience the fullness of God's joy? Anyone? You, we experience times of joy, but are we living in the fullness that God's offering to us here? I believe that that verse of righteousness, peace and joy... That's the essence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe how it's written is an accident. I believe they're sequential. So righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we want more joy, we can't have joy if we haven't got peace. Logical? How can you have joy if you're not living in peace? And you can't live in peace if you're not living in righteousness. 
true? So you see, if we want more joy, we need to trace the road back to are we living in righteousness? You've probably heard the phrase, there's no rest for the wicked. Whenever someone says that to me, I invariably say no and there shouldn't be either. And they look at me and think, oh, well, I haven't really thought of that, <laughs> but it's true. If our consciences are not clean, if we're continually sinning and doing the wrong things, then how can we have peace? And how can we have joy? Sean, a few weeks ago, talked to us about abiding in the vine. What's the vine? Well, the scripture says, but the vine is Jesus. Is the vine righteous? Of course it is. He's pure and holy and he's perfection. So if we say we're abiding in the vine, that means we're abiding in righteousness. But are we? Is that really how we're living? You might respond to that to me and say, well, I want to. As a Christian, I want to. But the reality in my life is I want to do good, but I keep blowing it. I keep doing what I shouldn't do. And what I shouldn't do, that's what I keep doing. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly the position that's shown to us in Romans 7 that Paul uses to highlight someone in that place. And that person depicted in Romans, after wrestling with this problem, finally comes to the realisation that there's, a, there's, a, there's something wrong inside. There's something wrong in, in, in them. And they have a revelation that that problem is a sin principle that's at work in them still as a Christian. And in fact, it's a law. It's a law from which they cry out for deliverance because they feel captive to it. They are captive. They're slaves to it. You know, we, we just heard in Romans 6 that was read out. We're slaves to something. What are we a slave to? Are we a slave to sin or are we a slave to righteousness? I want to suggest to you that we all live under law. Now you're going to say, oh, hang on, Rod. Woo, woo, you're in error there. I'm not under law. I've been set free from the law. Well, no, you haven't. And yes, you have. There's two great laws that every one of us lives under. There's the law of sin and death, which is highlighted for us in Romans 7, and there's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is highlighted for us in Romans 8. Where are you and where am I living? Where are we abiding? Romans 7 living results in guilt, being overcome, no power to stop sinning, being in bondage, being wretched and continually having a war going on inside us. 
Romans 8 living results in overcoming and victory, peace, right living, freedom, and of course, joy. But how do we get from one law to the other? Because you can't live under both laws at the same time. You just cannot do it. It's impossible. You're either one law is operating or the other law is operating. As Christians, we can be living in a carnal state where our flesh is still ruling. We know our sins are forgiven, but we're still enslaved by this sin principle, this law of sin and death. We want to please God and do what's right, but our old nature won't let us. It just won't let us. Does Jesus forgive all our sins and then leave us to battle continually with this enemy within? Is that the Christian life? I think subtly a lot of us think maybe it is. To gradually get victory bit by bit over the old nature. To gradually sanctify ourselves and improve this side of heaven. I would suggest to you that is no way in any sense the true gospel. The only way to go from one law to the other, Paul spells it out clearly in Romans, is to trace Romans back even further. Back to what Jared was alluding to in his talk. Back to the cross. That's where Paul leads us to. That's where Romans leads us to. Where it seems impossible that we can get free from this, God has made a way. Hallelujah, that's what the word says. He's made a way on and via and through the cross. So all roads lead to Romans, but Romans leads us to the cross and the Christ of the cross. The cross is the key to opening the door for us to enter into the fullness of a life lived in Christ. The cross is the key. We need to have a revelation of the true gospel of the good news so that we can build our lives on the right foundation. So what is the truth? What's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Well, Jesus, I believe, wants us to know that when we believe and put our trust in him for salvation and forgiveness of our sins, when we were baptised into him and received the Holy Spirit, we were also baptised into his death. You were also baptised into his death. Jared said, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and he left out a verse. And, anyone? Yep. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we love our lives not unto the death. What death? It's not when we die and go to heaven. It's the death that Jesus died on the cross. That death. When he died, you died, Romans 6 tells us. We read it. We've been baptised into his death. We have. It's past tense. 
He's saying to us, this is the good news. So what's the real gospel message? Come to Jesus and have your sins forgiven. Yes. But come to me and die. Ooh. Don't know if I like that bit. Come to me and die? What are you saying? That's the only way we can be free from our old nature. That's the only way we can be transported from living under the dominion of the law of sin and death and start living under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's to be dead. He doesn't come to improve us, our old man. The old man has to be crucified. Then we can start walking in newness of life. Then we can know the fruits of the Spirit. This is a radical gospel. A radical gospel. But it is the gospel. Oh, how the flesh hates to hear this. I tell you, the flesh hates this. The flesh wants to get religious. The flesh wants to do everything and anything but die. But die. I want to share um, a picture, an analogy. Uh, I want to give you a demonstration that helped me understand the truths of what I'm saying. And I've prepared a special overhead for you which I hope will make things plain. They're looking at me blankly up the back. But for good reason, because I haven't given them an overhead. Here's my overhead. And the pun is intended. I'm trying to make it plain to you. I want to demonstrate to you the difference between living under the law of sin and death and the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I'd like to suggest to you that the law of sin and death is almost, it's, it's exactly the same as the law of gravity. It's wanting to keep us earthbound, whereas God's wanting to keep us heavenbound. And I would suggest to you this plane, when it's flying, is experiencing the, another law. It's the law of aerodynamics. So, what happens when this person, me, gets in the plane and starts, see it's overhead, <laughs> like that? Well, it was. <laughs> it's overhead. How on earth can that fly? What's happened to the law of gravity? Is it still there? It is. It's just a greater law is operating. The law of aerodynamics has superseded the law of gravity. It's overridden it. It's set anyone in the plane free, in a sense. Has it not? But what happens if I decide to get out of the plane? Bang. 
the law of gravity is still there. The law of gravity, the law of sin and death, this side of heaven, is never annihilated. It's just rendered inoperable by a greater law. Do you get what I'm saying? If you like, this is the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This, down here, is carnality. Living in, in the world and the flesh and the devil. It's the devil's kingdom. What are we doing living in there? But that's where a carnal Christian is living. Down here, not up here. But oh, how do I get from here into here? That's the question. Well, what does the word say? There's only one way. One way. God's made a way. And in fact, he's already done it. Do you know that when you gave your heart to Christ, when you believed in him, it's done. It's done. You're, that's where you are. What are you doing living around? What am I doing living around down here? I don't have to. I can. I can choose to live like that. The only reason you stay in there is ignorance or unbelief. Either no one's ever told you that you can live up here because you didn't hear the gospel, full gospel, or you're choosing to. It's unbelief. I believe there's four states that we can live in. We can either, as I alluded to just then, this person can live in the world in ignorance. They don't know they need a saviour. They don't need, they need, need Jesus at all. They're in ignorance. So that's the first state. The second state is this person can give their heart to the Lord. They can know their sins are forgiven. But they still live down there. The next state is we can, by faith, enter into the plane. And yet we can lean on our own understanding, trust in our own strength, step out of God's will for our life. We can give in to temptation and sin. Bang. Repent. Lord, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You're forgiven instantly. And retake your position back in there by faith. How many times can you do this? How many times did Jesus say we're to forgive one another in a day? The disciples said, mm, seven. He said, 70 times 7 or even more. You're, you can't out-sin God's grace. You can't. God's grace is, is so much more than our sin. As long as we repent, as long as we repent and take our stand by faith. So that's the third state. The fourth state is 
suddenly it dawns on you, you don't have to get out of the plane. <laughs> you don't have to get out of the plane. If you do, confess your sin and get back in the plane. But you don't have to leave the plane. You really don't. Praise God. If we start living a life in the plane, in the kingdom of God of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, have we arrived? Is that it? Of course it's not. That's, if in a very real sense, that's just a beginning. I've got in here three oranges from our tree at home. We've got an orange tree and they're all fruit but I don't know if anyone wants to have a go at eating that one. Mm, not, not very sweet, I don't reckon. That one's a bit better. And that one's kind of getting there. If you broke that open, you could, it's quite edible. But are they perfect fruits yet? Of course they're not. So when we start living a life of victory in Christ and we start, the Holy Spirit starts to generate fruit in us, it's not going to be fully formed fruit. It might have to grow and have a few seasons and might need some pruning for it to go from that to a proper orange, to get sweeter, to get juicier. You hear where I'm going? There's always more in Christ. If you're producing fruit, he wants you to produce more fruit. If you don't know him yet, he wants you to know him. If you've got lukewarm, he wants you to get hot. He wants us to have power over sin and temptation. Just a, an aside, temptation is not sin. Sometimes we can, just because we're getting tempted doesn't mean it's sin. It's only when it's conceived in us. It's only when we entertain it that it becomes sin. We're always going to be tempted. If we don't abide in the vine, how much does it say we can do for God? What's John 15 say? Nothing. Nothing. We can spend our whole lives doing Christian things and in eternity, it amounts to nothing because it wasn't authored by Jesus Christ, by his spirit. It wasn't coming out of abiding in the vine. Oh, I abide in the vine, you say. Well, what's your life saying? Is it a life of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? Is it? If it's not, maybe you're abiding in the wrong place. We need to agree on his verdict on our old natures, his judgment of our natures outside of him. And then we need to believe the good news of the gospel that you can be set free from it. And we need to act. Hebrews 4, sorry I'm going on a bit here but I'm, 
I'm going to anyway. Hebrews 4 talks in 3, well 3 and 4, but Hebrews 4 talks in verses 1 and 2 about a rest of promise being given to us. But it says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of this rest. So it's possible, where you see the word rest up there, you can read death. It's the same truth. God is wanting us to enter into his rest, but these people didn't enter in because of unbelief. That's what it goes on to say. They didn't enter into his rest because of unbelief. And it says, fear, lest some of you seem to fall short of it. Our works, our works, our fleshly works have to cease. We need to rest. We need to die. Paul said he died daily. I don't think he said, mm, I die daily. Oh, woe is me. I reckon that was a rejoicing die. I reckon he said, praise God, I die daily. Hallelujah. So quickly, when and where can we experience this joy? I'd suggest to you, as long as we're living in the plane, anywhere and anywhere, anywhere and any time. Isaiah 12 verse 3 talks about the joy, with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. John 4.14 talks about the water that Jesus is going to give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And John 7.38 talks about rivers of living water. So in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God places living water in your heart. He places a fountain, in fact, and a river. The, the mark of those two things is they flow. You know, like it's, it's like a, a bubbling up. It's a rising up out of your heart. It's not trying to work something up in our own strength. It's not faking it till you make it. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not struggling and striving to live the life that God wants you to live. If we're doing that, we're on the wrong track altogether. It's a life of flowing. Examples of when and where, Richard Wormbrandt, many of you have heard of him, he started the Voice of the Martyrs. He spent 14 years in prison for his faith, three years in solitary confinement, three years. I mean, he had a horrific time. He was tortured, he was starved, he got sick. But he experienced joy in the midst of that. How can he? How could he? Only by this. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 at midnight, they, their feet were in stocks. Do you reckon the dungeon was warm and cosy? You know, a nice warm fire to sit by? It would have been cold and damp and miserable. What were they doing? Praising and worshipping. They had joy. Wow. Horatio Spafford, who wrote 
It is well with my soul, the old hymn, wrote that after he'd been told that his four daughters had been drowned. Going over to America with his wife, she survived, but they were going over to listen to D.L. Moody preach because he was a friend of theirs. And he sat down and wrote, It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could he write that? So this joy is not dependent on outward circumstances. It's all to do with our inward joy in Christ. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, about five weeks ago, Jude and I came down with COVID for the first time. And um, I was, in the first early days, I was lying in bed feeling sorry for myself and feeling like, you know what? And this thought occurred to me, I'm going to preach on joy in a few weeks. Can I experience joy right now, the way I'm feeling? Anyway, I started to think and I, my mind just went up to who my Heavenly Father is, who Jesus is, what's he done for me, my eternal salvation, my, my victory in him, just all of, I just started to think on those things and the rivers started to flow in me. The rivers started to run and I started to praise and worship and sing and pray in tongues and boo. I had joy in the midst, didn't, my COVID didn't go away. So where and when, anytime, anywhere, if we're walking in the spirit. So this morning, has God sparked something in you? Has he revealed something in you that he wants to do, a need, a lack. He's saying, come on, my brothers and sisters, I've got more for you. I encourage you, don't be like that ad on TV. Have you seen the ad which is, I think it's for a insurance company and you're looking out over the countryside and all these little spot fires are popping up everywhere and then suddenly all these water spouts come and put them out. Anyone else seen that? And so nothing happens. Don't be like that. Don't let the devil, the flesh and the world put out the sparks that God's igniting this morning. Believe what he's saying. Believe that when he died, you died. Oh, I don't know if I've got faith for that. Well, you can have. Faith can come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. When God gives us revelation, he gives us knowledge. And if we, if we choose to believe, that's really all faith is, choosing to believe. If we choose to believe the word, then we need to act on it. Because what do we hear in James? Faith without works is what? Dead. So revelation through the word of God, through someone saying it, however God chooses to give you revelation of your need and of the truth, revelation won't do you any good on its own. I would also suggest to you that faith on its own won't do you any good either. You need revelation, you need faith and there needs to be an outworking in your living, in your life, the reality of how you're living. 
You need to outwork it. So I encourage you. I, I exhort you. I appeal to you this morning. Stay in the plane. Or if you get out of the plane, get back in the plane quickly. <laughs> Repent. Abide in the, in the plane, in the kingdom of God, which is in righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 3 and 4, five times it says, today, 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 if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts against what he's saying. Don't allow that to go into unbelief. Today, respond to whatever he said to you. I encourage you this morning, respond. How you say it? Well, in your heart, respond to Jesus. I'm going to be in the back room and if any others want to come out the back afterwards, respond. If you'd like someone to pray with you, not for you, this is about you doing business with God yourself. If he's said and he's put his finger on something this morning in your life, respond, I, I, I implore you, respond. Now's the time, today is the day, right now. Don't put it off, who knows? You or I could be hit by a bus on the way home. You mightn't get another chance. So if today you need to hand over your life for the first time, completely dedicate your life to him, or whether you want to rededicate it, or whether you just simply want to get hotter, <laughs> you, you know, he's, he's, he's quickened something in you this morning and you want to live that, then come out the back afterwards and, and we can pray together. Don't look at your failures. Don't look at your lacks. Don't look at your sins. Look to Jesus. In, in, and I'll finish with this. In James, again, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without finding fault and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts will not receive anything from the Lord. That's to do with wisdom, but it's to do with anything. Anything that God's put on your heart. If you lack it, ask him. He gives liberally and without finding fault. Isn't that incredible? Like the, like the father with the prodigal son, he didn't care about all the things in a sense that the son had been into. All he wanted was to have fellowship with him. What did he do? The son comes back, oh, I've done, I've done this. And the father says, listen, I'm just ha happy to have you back. Here, let me put a ring on your finger, a ring of sonship again, a ring of position in Christ. And let me get rid of all those filthy rags that you've got on and put on one of these robes that I've got, a robe of righteousness. Jesus won't look at your faults. He won't. He won't. He, he wants you to come to him. But ask in faith, not doubting, and then act on it. So I encourage you this morning, 
stay in the plane, walk in the spirit and you will be fruitful and you will have joy. But more importantly, you'll be pleasing and glorifying your heavenly father because that's really all that matters. Thank you.